Hey everybody, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live, the show where I sit down with amazing humans. And today's amazing human is James Altucher. Now you probably know James because he's written somewhere on the order of 20, count them, 20 books. His most recent one is called Skip the Line, which is a fascinating book. The subtitle of that book is The 10,000 Experiments Rule and Other Surprising Advice for Reaching Your Goals. So you can imagine a little bit of the subtext of our conversation. In this, we also explore how curiosity is perhaps one of the most important vehicles for pursuing the thing that you ought to be pursuing with this one precious life. We also recap a really fascinating story where James wrote an article about how New York was forever changed by the pandemic, only to be responded to by the one and only Jerry Seinfeld in the New York Times. And if that doesn't shake up your world, uh, I don't know what will. There's so many nuggets in this episode about how to pursue your dreams, how to navigate difficult times. James is talks very frankly about having a lot of failure, going from depressed to bankrupt and recovering through processes like a gratitude practice. So fascinating uh, episode. I can't wait for you to get into it now. So I'm going to get out of the way. Enjoy yours truly, plus James Altucher. Hey, before we get into the show, I've got a quick announcement. My best-selling book, Creative Calling, is now more than 18 months old. It's crazy to think that. But thanks specifically to support from you, this community, the book has been shared and gifted and highlighted and has been published in, in all kinds of different languages around the world. I want to thank you for applying these concepts in the book to your life, for sharing the stories all of your career changes, failures, and successes on the path to designing and living your best life. So if you don't have the book, I have to encourage you to get a copy. Again, it's called Creative Calling. It's available anywhere books are sold. And I've put my entire heart and soul, all of my experience around creativity, around entrepreneurship, pursuing your dreams, getting unstuck, experiences from my own life, and the lives of dozens of the top creators and entrepreneurs that I know that I, I call my dear, dear friends. It's all in this book. So if you don't have a copy, I would love it if you would pick one up. And part two, if you do have a copy and right now you're going, yeah, Chase, check that box. I already got it when you first, when it first came out, I'm one of the early adopters. Again, I want to say thank you. And it would mean the world to me if you would leave a review at Amazon or wherever you picked up the book. By writing a review, you are actively contributing, not just to the success of the book, you're exposing your community to the lessons and tactics, the experiences that I aggregated together in Creative Calling. And I believe that you will be directly inspiring your peers to live their best life in support of their career, hobby, and dreams. Now, in the meantime, I'm going to get out of the way and let you get back to the show. But again, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. I look forward to you hearing more about your experience with Creative Calling. But now, let's get into the show. James Altucher, welcome to the show, bud. Welcome back. Chase, I'm always so glad to be on the show. Thanks for having me here. 
uh, a lot has happened. We were speaking before we started, we pressed the record button about what a crazy last couple of years. And as you said, this is the conversation that everyone's having because we're sort of like talking to each other again, trying to uncork what is what has happened and where this is all going. You dropped a book somewhere in the middle. You've moved to Florida. You exchanged hate mail with Jerry Seinfeld. There are many things for us to talk about. Well, to be clear, I did not hate on him. <laughs> so... <laughs> We, you know, we didn't quite, I, I exchanged solutions and possible problems. And I think maybe he, he took it the wrong way. That's fair enough. For those who do not know, this is a fun and interesting way to dive into the show. Of course, James, you've, you've been a guest on the show before I've been a guest on yours. We have a, I think our relative audiences are, uh, are aware or respectful, respective audiences are aware of the work that one another, uh, do, but yeah. To, to, to start, just to give anyone who's new to this, new to our relationship, for example, or new to you and your work, how do you describe what you do? Because you do so many things. Yeah, I don't know if I do describe what I do. I really like to pursue um, things, that, things that I'm passionate about. And I've been a writer for the past 30 years. I've, I've been an entrepreneur. I've started several companies. I've built and sold companies and then gone completely broke afterwards and had to always bounce back. And it's, it's not pleasant, but that's something that I've written about. I'm a podcaster. I've had over a, a thousand podcasts and close to a hundred million downloads. I'm an investor. Um, uh, I've been a stand-up comedian for the past six years. I, uh, am currently obsessing on improving at chess and so, so I do a lot of things and I list those things with it because you shouldn't just list your career as the For thing sure. you are. No, so. I do. I love, I love that. And it, the, the fact that your passions play a role in each of those in the career side and the personal side, uh, and you know, in, in the work side, career, work, hobby, all of that stuff is, is critical. So I also, now that we, those folks who are orienting, they're either looking up right now and they're going, of course I know James's work. So we're in their head and it, it, it is an interesting place to jump off. We're in, you know, two years into the pandemic now, and I would like to think we're emerging. That's still in someone in question, but yeah, you, you wrote, uh, a year and change ago that New York is forever changed. You wrote this post on your blog and you, I think, uh, LinkedIn, you, you sent it around to all your different channels. And it was a heartfelt, earnest piece about why you went to New York or why one goes to New York because of, you know, the culture and the business and the, you know, it's just, you can always trip over, I think, uh, opportunities was something that was said in the article. And you said the pandemic has changed that and will forever. And this little known comedian named Jerry Seinfeld read your post and wrote back to you in the New York times. And yeah. As far it, as I know, it was his first op-ed ever. And <laughs> he took a whole page in the New York times to, you know, trash me. I remember I woke up that morning. It was like a Monday morning or a Sunday morning. And I was getting all these texts from people I vaguely knew calling me a putz. And I'm like, why is somebody, why is everybody suddenly using this like 1930s depression era insult to wake, I don't even know these people. And then it turned out, I realized Jerry Seinfeld had written about me and written about my article. And 
you know, as what happens a lot is that I addressed serious problems that were happening in New York. And and by the way, no one in since then, no one has denied that these problems exist. The the mayoral candidates, you know, some of them who I know very well, called me for advice talking about these problems. But I think maybe it was the first time someone had pointed out that these problems could be more than just, you know, might last longer than the pandemic. And I think people got afraid and, and maybe I wasn't sensitive to that. Like people, if you own property in New York city or if you're family and, 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 and look, my family's in New York city and I'm, I've born and raised all around New York city and I lived there for, for my entire adult life. And it's a scary thing to be told this. And so a lot of people didn't even read my article. I'm not even sure Jerry Seinfeld read my article, but <laughs> felt the need to kind of lash out. But the problems are real. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad the current, you know, new may- incoming mayor is aware of them. And, and he's a good friend of mine. And, and really, the article was about don't be in denial. These problems are serious. New York City is an expensive city to run. If your entire tax base is leaving, you know, maybe you don't like the people that are the tax base, but you still need the tax revenues to support teachers, police, firemen, sanitation, and so on. And 60,000 businesses were in danger of going out of business, did end up going out of business. And so there's there's issues. Yeah. And uh, I want to use our time here to talk less about those individual issues and more about what I think you're a master of, which is cultivating conversation, asking questions, doing things differently. The fact that you can, sh- you know, very comfortably share your opinion out in the world in a very cogent, well thought out, uh, constructive way, as you pointed out, and I will attest, and that 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 belief in what you're doing is genuine and real and honest and and that 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 creates a response in the world and where i would you know juxtapose that to someone else who had a sort of a half-hearted um conservative don't want to offend anyone or really uh, uncertain of if their opinions will stand up in the world or not it's very different than james altucher what you did is you put your world, you put your ideas out there in the world. The fact that Jerry Seinfeld did his first op-ed ever, that it was in the New York Times, and that millions of people all of a sudden read your work, to me, that's the interesting part. Not what Jerry said or not necessarily sure. even what you said, but mostly why you said it, how you said it, the, 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 the approach that you took. So, you know, I think it's an interesting... Um, <clears throat> an interesting overlay to your most recent book, which is called Skip the Line. And in many ways, that was a masterclass in skipping the line, right? You, you, how do you get the attention of millions of people around your ideas? Well, you just, you, you did what felt natural to you. You wrote, you know, you put a post and a lot of people happen to see it. So if I'm making this connection incorrectly, then you tell me, but since I'm, I have a little bit of conviction and I believe this is a masterclass, ironically in the book, skip the line. Why don't you articulate a little bit of, you know, how, is this standard for you? Cause I've seen you do this over and over and I, it's, this is like, it's natural to you and that's what you're trying to teach us. Yeah. And for, for better or for worse, it's, it's standard to me because sometimes these backlashes are ex- incredibly unpleasant and everyone says, Oh, don't care what people think about you. But of course, everybody cares somewhat, you know, and it depends on the people too. Uh, but yeah, what what's interesting to me is that 
first off, and you, you're, you know, Chase, we've talked about photography. You're a photographer, but from way back, I, you know, in our very first uh, time together, I asked you, you know, how can one be a good photograph photographer? And you said, you said it best, you know, take a photo of something that interests you. You have to be interested in, in it first. What interests you? And for me, if I'm thinking a lot about something, I want to be able to express it and I want people to read it. So I might be thinking about something that's a, I'm seeing a problem in the world or I'm seeing people at what I think is are making bad decisions. Or maybe I want to kind of express what happened to me that you could bounce back from total bankruptcy and depression and suicidal thoughts and so on and 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 survive and flourish. But, you know, a lot of times you have to always be able to say something in a unique way and you have to say something that's unique. So whenever I write something, I don't even hit publish unless I'm afraid of what people will think about me after they read the article. Because otherwise, if I'm not worried about that, then I'm probably not saying something new. And then why say it at all if you're not saying something new? If I'm just agreeing with the crowd, then what's the point of being one more voice in the crowd? Now, that doesn't mean you try to be controversial, that would be bad writing as well. Like you, I could always tell if someone's just writing something just to be controversial. So I tend to write about things I'm afraid about. Like I'm a, I love New York city. I was afraid people were in denial that, you know, New York city was in trouble, but more than that, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance that, you know, causes people to not want to hear that New York city is in trouble. Maybe they own property there. Maybe they have a job that they can't leave. It's similar. Like, let's say I write, oh, don't send your kids to college, which is another article I've written that had a lot of backlash. Well, some, some, you know, it's a huge financial decision to send your kids to college or to go to college and take on that kind of debt. So that creates cognitive dissonance. Once you do it, your brain is not going to say to you, oh, James, you did something wrong. Your brain's going to reject the idea that college might be bad or Home ownership is another one. That's another, that's one of the biggest financial decisions also you'll make in life. If someone says to you, home ownership is no good, you're going to have a problem with that person. So, and intertwined with that, you can't just say, here's why I believe this X, Y, and Z. You have to tell a story. People only listen to stories. A photograph, you know, a, a picture is worth a thousand words. A photograph is a story. People, you know, at the end of the day, no one wants to be lectured to. No one wants to hear a list of facts. Everybody wants to be entertained, even from, you know, the things that they learn from. And so you have to tell stories. So I, so I write an article about, let's say, why I hate owning a home. And I'll tell stories about times I've owned a home and lost everything and lost my home and, and, and so on. And then people are, are drawn in. They, they're drawn in by the cognitive dissonance. They're drawn in by the story. They're drawn in when you're saying something in a unique way. Uh, so all of these things together creates, I hate to use the word viral. It does create an article that goes viral, but it makes people think. If I just said, oh, here's Kyle Rittenhouse, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's it's nothing. I just joined this horde of people shouting in into the in, into a vacuum, and and I don't like doing that. Well, this let's let's look at it specifically through the lens of your most recent book, which I think you have, if I'm not mistaken, eighteen 
total books. Is that right? Something like that. Uh, now it's probably more like uh, 21, 22. <laughs> okay. I, one loses count, uh, even though one tries hard after 10. But, yeah. uh, you know, Choose Yourself is a one that's it's quite popular where I, I really enjoyed that one. And then this one came out again uh, during the pandemic. And there's a, you know, through the lens that we've just been talking about, this idea of doing, you know, being uniquely you, doing things different, not just better. There's this undercurrent of uh, the one of the keys to um, continuing to evolve and grow and to echo the sentiment of the title, to skip the line, to be able to go, this is not about a shortcut. This is how to authentically be catapulted to the front of any discipline. You, you argue it's very much around um, uncertainty, being comfortable, as you said, I don't know if, if I'm not uncomfortable when I, when I hit publish, then I'm not doing it right. And how does this combination of curiosity and discomfort play into what you wrote about in Skip the Line and your philosophy on life in general? Yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting because, look, you, you've created this learning platform and learning has been transforming so much in the past few decades. Like when we were kids, we would learn facts. Here's the first <laughs> president. Here's the dates of the Civil War. Here's, uh, you know, what happened in World War II. Fact, fact, fact. And the reality is, Facts and information now are a commodity. I can Google facts. I don't need to remember all of them anymore. But what real learning is, is that we're getting back to discovery. When you discover something new and you discover who you are in the context of what you're passionate about. And this is what you've been teaching in, in, in your platform. And skip the line is sort of about this, which is, you know, it's okay to return to your passions and learn them and even monetize them. And, and the pandemic has sort of accelerated this. Everybody was told, Hey, Hey, everybody sit at home for a while and watch TV. Well, many people did not want to watch TV. They wanted to learn new things, go back to the passions they had when they were younger and, and maybe even monetize them as you were talking about. And, and it's, it's difficult to do because for one thing, everyone is out there saying, you can't do that. You've, you've worked hard as a rising up as a marketing manager of a fortune 500 company. You should stick to doing that and then retire. And then after you retire, you could play around with, you know, cooking or photography or whatever it is you're interested in. And I want to, and then everyone else says, Oh, you can't do it. You need 10,000 hours. It's the 10,000 hour rule. You got to do something for 10,000 hours to be good at it, which is not really what the 10,000 hour rule says. And so I wanted to say, look, if you're interested and passionate about something, it's okay to pursue it. It's not that hard to get in the top 1% of your field. Uh, you don't need 10,000 hours. You just need to get into the top 1%, not in the top 10 humans, but the top 1%. So for like, let's take photography as an example. There's probably 100 million people on the planet who love photography and who consider themselves photographers. So the top 1% means being in the top 1 million of those 100 million. It's not in the top 10, it's in the top 1 million. And my, my conviction is, is that if you're in the top 1%, you can monetize it in some way, whether you're a photographer, whether you blog about photography or podcast about it or have a newsletter about it or, or 
you know, sell photography equipment or there's a million ways we're just riffing. And so I wanted to write a book, how to quickly learn what you're, you how to find what you're passionate about, learn enough so that you're in the top 1%, which is not easy, but it's not as difficult as people think, and then how to monetize it. And, you know, for writing, for instance, we were just talking about, well, how does a story get people's attention? And, you know, you, you learn in each field what kind of the skip the line techniques are. Okay, I want an idea to get attention. Well, I need to tell a story. I need to affect people's cognitive dissonance. And I need to be afraid. I need to sit, make sure what I'm saying is, is unique and with my own voice. Those three things, I can guarantee you almost any idea is going to go viral. Uh, again, assuming you're passionate about the idea. So, you know, one thing that I did during the pandemic was I decided, uh, you know, this, this TV show, The Queen's Gambit, came out. Uh, it's about a chess player. I said, I'm going to pursue, I'm going to use the techniques in my book and pursue chess. And I'm going to stick disciplined to the techniques in my book. And it's worked incredibly well. Like I just came back from a, a, a tournament. I won some money there. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I did this. So I'll describe some of the techniques I use. So, so there's one I call plus minus equal. Find a coach who's better than you that could teach you. Find equals who you could play with and exchange notes with and find a minus, find people you could teach, because if you can't explain something simply, then you don't truly understand it. So that's one technique for learning fast. And, you know, I could go on and on. I'm obsessed with, with these different learning techniques, but keep going. But this is, this is exactly why we're here, James. This is the podcast is long form. Don't you stress about our time. This is, for example, I just made an entire podcast yesterday, which we will, will be released in the next couple of weeks here about exactly that point and the idea was in my brain from skip the line and was something that i personally benefited from and so to retrot out what you just said and when you're learning something there are people who are further along either in the food chain or on their journey that have more information more value you can watch them you can you know be mentored by them learn their moves having a set of peers that you can exchange these ideas with people are doing the same things that you are at the same time. And those are, you know, ways to learn together, get, and people, if you can't teach it, as you said, then you don't know it well enough. And what's better in this world than passing information on to others and making, you know, building a community that is factually effective. I've personally experienced it. You talked about it in your book and you just demonstrated that, that fact with your chess example give us some more. This is like endless goodness yeah. for people who are listening right now. Well, you know, another, another one that's very important is what I call micro skills. So take, take entrepreneurship as an example. People say, Oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to, I'm going to get better as an entrepreneur. There's really no such skill as entrepreneur or entrepreneurship or business. That's not yeah. a skill. That's like a basket of skills. So, so, you have to learn marketing. You have to learn how to have ideas. You have to learn execution. You have to learn um, how to manage people. You have to learn how to sell uh, an idea. You have to learn how to um, create value in, in your business and on and on and on. And you have to learn these different micro skills in order to know the kind of macro skill of business. Or 
you know, I imagine with photography, what are the micro skills there? You have to know um, what L- is lighting and yeah, yeah, lighting, composition, uh, communication. All yeah, there's infinity but, skills. And, but yeah, and, there's, and they're and they're mutually exclusive. So like yep. knowing lighting is not the same as knowing composition. They're completely different. For sure. And you know. The, 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 you, you don't have to learn every skill perfectly, but if you know this basket of micro, if you, if I, if you identify the micro skills and then come up with a training regimen of how you're going to learn, you know, a little by little each day, you're going to be a great photographer. If you say, okay, I want to learn, I want to get 1% better every day this year at composition. Well, 1% better compounded is 3,800%. So I don't know, you know, we're talking about something qualitative with quantitative words, but so I don't know what it means to be 38 times better at composition or 38 times better at chess, but understanding that if you push yourself just a tiny bit each day and you know, specifically you've broken apart the micro skills, you've broken apart how to learn with this plus minus equal, and you will get good. There's no question. You'll be in the top 1% of your field. And you know, and then of course there's the question of how to monetize, but for me, for let's say for comedy. So for in 2015, I, I had set out the year I was going to write a novel. And then of course I got on a stage just for a, a fluke and, and, and did some stand up comedy and I fell in love with it. I like absolutely loved it. So put together my plus minus equal. I figured out what the micro skills were and I, and that's by talking to people, but you know, there's everything from, you know, writing a joke to uh, acting out the joke to how do you move around on the stage to how do you use the microphone? To how do you do different voices? Uh, what are the different types of comedy, like absurdism, storytelling, one-liners? And you kind of start building this repertoire of micro skills that you've learned, and that builds you as a comedian. But in, in everything also is it's discovery, too, of who you are. So you have to answer this question, who are you? And, and that's sometimes a hard question to answer. Why are you? Like, you know, what is, you know, when you say why are you, what are the things that are important to you? What are, why do you exist? And then you have to also answer why now? So, for instance, if you're, if, if you're photographing something, my guess is not only do you, are you, you know, who are you is, you know, what you're interested in, what kind of photographs you want to do. Why are you is, why are you doing photographs? In, there's a hundred million people doing it. Why are you doing it? Like what is going to be special about you? And then why now you're taking a photograph right now. W- would you take you, you know, there has to be an answer to the question at some point, why this photograph now is an interesting one for you. And, you know, this is another skill of like asking these questions all the time means you're not just kind of following in the footsteps of those before you, but you're going one step further. You're bringing yourself into the history of photography and changing photography because of what you do, as opposed to just following the greats before you, which is important as well. But at some point you need to take the step where it's you. So for instance, with me, with writing, you know, I feel that over 30 years, I can say, you know, why me is because I have my own particular perspective on, you know, building something, losing something, coming back from it. I'm really afraid to, to, to lose again and again. I've done, I've, I've gone broke like five times. I'm terrified of doing it again. 
And so this gives me my own particular voice, if I'm honest about it, in writing. And, and it, it helps me to see things maybe that other people don't always see when I tell my story in, in this way. So all of these things together help to, you know, catapult you to skip the line, so to speak, to in whatever field you're interested in. The fact that that you've repeated it so often in numerous disciplines is part of what's fascinating to me. This, therefore, it's not just a, a skill set that's nuanced to one particular thing like writing. I think you've done it with, you know, with cryptocurrency. I think you've done it with uh, comedy, for example, and that these skills or this concept of lens that you put on this is extensible to numerous different um, areas of passion. If I'm a listener right now, I think that's, there's many reasons to care, but that's a big important one. Why the skip the line makes a ton of sense. So you've, you you've repeat, go ahead. Sorry, James. Oh, I just want to mention there's, there's one important thing too, which is, um, this idea of experimenting, which I think is not familiar to the classroom we, we grew up in. So when the classrooms we grew up in, we get a book, we have to read it, we get it tested on it, we get lectured on it, and then we go home and we pass the grade. But very important for learning, and this is just as important in photography, as business, as comedy, as chess or writing, is you have to be able to do lots of experiments. And what's an experiment? Experiment is you have a theory about something that either you don't know or the world doesn't know, and you have a, a cheap way, has to be very cheap, of testing that theory. And the upside is enormous. And the downside is you learn something. So like Thomas Edison, it took him 10,000 different wires before he figured out how to light a light bulb. And someone asked him, you know, how does it feel to fail 10,000 times? And he said, sir, I didn't fail 10,000 times. I learned 10,000 ways how not to make a light bulb. And I'm sure with photography, you know, you could take a photograph of something. Let's say I want to take a photograph of fruit. Well, okay, now let's do a little experiment. How about I look at the fruit through a microscope and take a photograph of like, you know, a, a, a fruit that's so enlarged through the microscope that no one can tell what it is, but I'm seeing the, the innards of this fruit. That might be an experiment that's been done a million times, but I wanted to experiment just to see what happens and see what it looks like to me. Is it beautiful to me? And, uh, you know, on and on. I'm sure while you were building up oh, your yeah. photography, it's all about experiments because that's how you find your unique voice. In yeah. writing, okay, what if I'm going to write an article about, I'll, I'll tell you one experiment I did that was um, really great for me. Uh, I don't know if you remember, like, it's like three or four years ago, uh, Trump tweeted, I want to buy Greenland. And I think it was the, the prime minister of Denmark tweeted back, it's not for sale. And I'm like, A, I didn't know you could negotiate and buy like an entire country and do it on Twitter. And B, why was Denmark involved in this? I didn't know Denmark had anything to do with Greenland. So I did a little research and it was fascinating. Like I could figured out why someone would want to buy Greenland and that Denmark actually did own Greenland. So I could have just written an article about what I learned. But instead, I wanted to I wanted to try a different format than just like, here's what here's what happened. And here's why this is important. So I started a Kickstarter where I wanted to raise one hundred million dollars so I could buy Greenland. And, you know, I had never used Kickstarter before. So I, you have to put together these, I guess, prizes if someone donates 
a thousand dollars, they could become a Duke in Greenland. Or if someone <laughs> contributes ten thousand dollars, maybe I'd give them a hundred acres. If a million dollars, they could get a holiday named after them. So, so I was, I, you know, it was an experiment for me. And then you write the summary of why you want to buy Greenland and why this is important. So this becomes a writing experiment. Oh, I'm going to use instead of writing this in the third person or the first person, I'm going to write this in the Kickstarter person. And so I learned more about writing. I learned about Kickstarter. I learned about Greenland and Kickstarter shut down my project because they knew it was, I was just, I was raising money. I had raised like already a couple thousand dollars and they shut it down and returned everything. And, and they reasonably did so because they take, they eat the cost on the credit card fees when they return the money. <laughs> <laughs> but I learned like a huge amount. And then I got another story about it, which is telling that story. So, <laughs> you know, whether, so for writing, you always want to experiment. Like, should you write this in the second person, the third person, maybe write this in the form of two people sending letters back and forth to each other. But here was, I had never seen someone write a story in like a Kickstarter format. So my downside was I learned a huge amount and my upside could have been, oh, I'm going to buy Greenland. But that's an example experiment that made me an incrementally better writer. And uh, now I know Kickstarter. And you brought a lot of joy to it, clearly, personally. And uh, I, yeah. I, I remember I was laughing in the background as you were in introducing this because I remember reading that and, and saw that you had done that after the uh, hilarious and buffoonery uh, that kicked it all off. with um, Yeah. <laughs> buying uh, here, here's another one when i was first starting stand-up uh i had two problems like every comedian might what do you do when the audience is a hostile audience and it's hard to make people laugh when you, the lights are shining on you and the, the gun is to your head and saying make people laugh so i i i you can't you can't get enough stage time when you're just starting so i went on a new york city subway and I figure you can't find a more hostile audience than a New York City subway during rush hour. And you have to make people laugh quickly or they'll totally hate you. So I had to work on my one liners. So I basically went on the subway and every stop I got off the train and went on to another uh, car and did stand up at in front of the subway audience. It was scary. I didn't think I would do it. I even got on the subway and I thought to myself, this is a waste of time. But I had someone there to videotape it so I could study the video afterwards. And I did it. I don't think I did that great, but it was an experiment that put me in a high stress situation. I definitely learned about comedy. I definitely learned what I was capable of doing in a, in a subway just on the fly. And it was interesting. And it provides a back, a, a backstory for, as you've already said a couple of times now for telling the story, like the story about, yeah, I got anxiety, a little micro twinge of anxiety, just thinking about walking into a subway cold and like starting to drop your uh, your act. That's very, very bold. It was. I I got on there and I said to the video person, "I'm sorry, I wasted your time. This is. I'm not going to do this." And I, and then I said, "You know what? Just turn on the video anyway." And as soon as my friend did that, I, I went off on a on a roll, and, and I got some people to laugh. So it wasn't, it wasn't all bad. This idea of experimenting, you know, you've talked about your personal failures, uh, very, you know, mentioned it several times in this conversation and, and in others, um, just 
you know, building it all up and you talked about going bankrupt, for example, are these not just experiments that get bigger? And as you've done it a couple of times, the first time you lost everything, um, and you came back like, okay, that wasn't that bad. It was painful. Uh, I've learned some things and I know what I don't want to do next time. Is that in some way related to your passion for running these micro experiments is, is the subway experiment that you just gave, um, in some ways, uh, analogous to the, you know, your first bankruptcy say? Yeah, I get, you know, that's a really good point. I haven't made that connection before, but you know, part of this, part of experimenting is also a way of practicing failure in a very safe way. So, you know, like take that subway example, failure would be everybody yelling at me and saying, get off the subway. We don't want to hear you. You're awful. And, and that's it. And that's kind of, that's the worst case. Like no one's going to kill me. No one's going to take my money or family away. I mean, when you, when you go broke or fail in, in business, I mean, I've lost my home. I have lost, you know, my family, there's all sorts of bad things that, that can happen when you lose in a really big way. And, and it's really sad and, and horrible. But so when you experiment, it's like you're giving your chance to, to practice, um, you know, challenging yourself in ways that could be disappointing, but you get comfortable with it. And I'll give you an example, because this is six years after the subway thing. Two days ago, I was in an airport and my plane was delayed, not for like a half hour or an hour. My plane was delayed for 11 hours. And so I was with a group of people just, we weren't, we were told don't leave the gate because we might take off at any minute. So every minute for 11 hours, we're thinking we could take off in another minute. And then, and then finally they make this announcement. Um, we found a crew except for we're looking for a second flight attendant and everyone's like, yelling out and they're all upset. Like everyone's yelling out. We don't need a second flight attendant. We'll, we'll just go, just put us on the plane. And so I stood up and I said, I am not leaving this airport unless there is a second flight attendant and she is handing me peanuts. That's why I, that's why I pay to go on this plane (laughs) and people didn't know how to react, but then suddenly everyone starts laughing. So I'm able to use this offbeat skill and, and stand up in front of an audience, which is something that I was scared to death to do years ago, uh, and make a tense situation a little calmer, not only for myself, but for everyone. And I enjoy doing that, but this uh, skills translate into other skills. If you're good at chess, you might be good at analyzing business situations or handling, you know, the discipline to, you know, learn something, you know, cause chess requires a lot of discipline. And, uh, you know, all these, all these skills, you know, for instance, like when we were talking about photography and I said, what if you do an experiment where you take the classic example of photographing fruit, but then do it as if you're photographing it through a microscope? Well, combining knowledge of two fields is a good way to experiment. So let's say I use a microscope a lot. If I'm a biologist, well, what are some techniques of, from being a biologist that I could bring into photography or I've gone broke a lot. What if I take those experiences and bring it into comedy? And, you know, so combining 
your passions and skills and interests is another way to kind of bring your own uniqueness through, find ways to experiment and discover like this unique intersection of skills that you have that make you the best in the world for those intersections. And I I think that's important as well. That is absolutely brilliant insight. Absolutely. And I, I can personally attest to that on a number of levels. We'll use photography. I came from a world, my, my passion was the ski, snowboard, skate, surf world, because that's what I was doing. All my friends did that. That's, I was living in Steamboat, Colorado. I was skiing, you know, 150 days a year. I was incredibly passionate about that. And in that community, there were people who were sponsored. You were sponsored by you know, some ski manufacturer sponsored by K2 skis and they gave you money to travel. They gave you all the equipment that you could use because you as a leader in that particular genre of skiing were someone that people looked up to. And that seems very obvious. And perhaps in sports, this idea of being sponsored or, you know, endorsing something was normal. I was like, okay, cool. I'm taking pictures of those people. Why don't I try and do that in photography? And they thought I was crazy. I would see a picture on a back of a magazine of some photographer holding a, you know, a Canon camera. And I would speak to the, you know, the person at Canon and say, how much did this person get paid? And they're like, oh, that person didn't get paid at all. They, you know, they were lucky enough to get on the back of that, you know, that magazine. And I'm like, wait a minute, bullshit. And so I set out to build a large audience. And when I had a large, an audience that was large enough, I said, you know, Hey, camera manufacturer, in order for me to use your camera, you have to pay me. And that concept was so foreign in that industry. And guess what? Everybody's doing it now. Now I'm not saying me alone can take credit for something like that, but that is a perfect example that mirrors what you just said of, I was experiencing something in one industry, thought I would experiment with it another. And I ended up making millions of dollars doing that. Right. And, a new pattern. And, and think about all the skills you you brought together for that. So first was your passion for skating and surfing. And, and you know, maybe there was a, a not that many photographers because they weren't getting paid. So, you know, there was nobody doing like artistic photography in that area. So you're able to for bring sure. that passion in, the passion for photography, your understanding of business and, and social media and so on. Combining those three things course they're going to pay you like you're the best in the world now at the combination of photography skate surfing and business slash social media that's that when people think of that intersection that became you and stuff like that is really important so even when i you know again i'm doing i do the plus minus equal i give chess lessons as i'm learning more chess and i i give chess lessons from a very entrepreneurship perspective like i've been an entrepreneur of many businesses i'm able to i give lessons to entrepreneurs and and kind of make all the analogies so they like ah yeah now i see why you do this in chess and now i see why i do this as an entrepreneur because they're all all these things are connected so that's my unique aspect as a i'm i'm not like a professional player so it's it, it, i can't really teach in that sense but I teach from the sense of being, hey, I'm an entrepreneur chess player. This gives me a good platform to teach on and so on. I think it's, you know, my point in sharing my experience with that is if you're listening right now and you have the areas of interest of photography and you're a biologist, let's go back to your photographing something of fruit. And if I bet if you actually 
looked through a microscope and were able to capture an image and you shot images of oranges and apples and watermelons and you could make some beautiful shit. There's probably at some level, whether it's, you know, what the eye can see or deeper at the cellular level that there's beauty. And if you, I could see an art show right now, this is like watermelon and orange and apple. And it, it would certainly be extraordinary. That yeah. is a great example of right now, whoever's listening, watching like what are areas. And you know, this harkens to the point that you are a master at James being uniquely you leaning into that there you have a set of experiences every person listening has a, a set of experiences that are unique and if you can combine those in interesting and unexpected ways that is part of the expression of you i it, couldn't help but but take that away from from uh skip the line james it was so the point was so well made yeah th- thanks and it's 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 really important to me, that concept, because, you know, let's say, again, it's very difficult. Like, I'm 53 years old. It would be very difficult for me to be the best photographer in the world. I, you know, maybe, maybe I could be good. Maybe I can't. But I know being in the top 1%, if I worked at it and I studied it and, and I did it, it would take me a while, but I could do it. But the only way to really do something new is if I'm bringing my own perspective, if I discover something new. And so what do I have in me? Well, I can, I can focus on people who have been broke and, uh, or, or entrepreneurs or fo- photo- photographing comedians or chess players. Like these are all like intense type of activities that, that take a lot of blood, sweat and tears. I imagine photography in those areas might be interesting or, I don't know. There are, there's, there's so many ways to kind of combine who you are with those passions so that whether or not you're good, no one can tell if someone's 20% better photographer than someone else. I would not be able to tell, but I can tell if someone's bringing something unique to the table and people value unique more than better. There's a you phrase know, I'll, that- I'll give you an, I'll give you an example that okay. uh, applies to not only my own experience, but one of my daughters. So she was having trouble getting into college. And I actually am against kids going to college and she's aware of that, but whatever. And (laughs) she was having troubles getting in. And I said, look, why don't you take a year off? And everybody who's applying to these colleges, they all have like a a 4.0 average. They've all done charity work. They all played in a sport in their school and they were in a lot of clubs. There's nothing unique about that. And if you have a 4.2 GPA, it doesn't make a difference to to, to a 3.9 GPA. Take a year off, figure out what you like doing, and let's do it. So I suggested a bunch of different things. And one that she chose is I I sent her to um, race car driving school. There's very few female race car drivers. I, I could think of Danica Patrick, and that's it. And so she went to a race car driving school. Uh, she got a professional race car driving license. She participated in a couple of races. And now, then when she applied to college a year later, she's a professional race car driver. How many girls applying to your school are professional race car drivers? She got in every single place that she applied. So that type of thing too, when you, when you take 
when you look for what's unique and you experiment and you try things and you try to what you're what you're passionate about, that makes you unique. Don't try to be better. Just try to be unique and and say things with your own voice. Be the person who wakes people up when when they see who you are and what you do. There's a phrase that has been a part of this show for the 11 and a half years it's been running and that's don't just be better be different it's so important literally it's like that has been a pattern a phrase that has been uttered every you know half a dozen shows for 11 and a half years here better or sorry different is the better you've been looking for and you've just given us a a very specific example that example of your daughter by the way extraordinary that that I, I'm going to use that and I'll tell it authentically as you have here, uh, because this is, I'm making notes <laughs> like to myself as you're saying this, because it's the perfect lens, like that, that approach to life to me is so affirming because what do we all have? What does every single person who's listening and watching have? They have, if not lots of other things, they at least have their own experience. And when you start to understand that that's what people and culture and that, that is interesting that it's not again, a 4.11 or a 4.12 GPA. That is not interesting. We are told that that's what's interesting because we are raised in an achievement culture where, you know, that is, uh, where, Uh, It's something that's plottable on a chart, so it's easy to talk about. Being a 4.11 is better than a 4.10. And yet, you know, the example that you've just given, that is how the world actually operates. We tell people to go to college, the most celebrated, many, most of the most celebrated people in our culture dropped out of college. Yeah. (laughs) Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, these are people who started college and said, I'm not being, and I'm not saying that college is not for some people. It will be great for some people, but it's ironic that the, the, the most well-trod path says that that's what you do. And then you look at the people in our culture, John Bon Jovi, uh, Steve Jobs, uh, Damon John, like, I I don't care, you know, background, socioeconomic status, like be uniquely you be interesting, be different. There's that is there is always room for that. Yeah, and that's why it's so important to pursue to, to to let to let your passion be somewhat of a guide as to what you should do next in life. And by the way, you don't have to just do one thing. You could you could work as a marketing manager and pursue your passions, but uh, maybe you're passionate about marketing. I don't know. I shouldn't make assumption, but. Um, I sometimes I look back and I say, well, okay, I just spent the past five years doing this, whatever this is. Maybe I should have been in Silicon Valley and, you know, hanging out with everybody and I could have gotten in that round of Uber or whatever, but you can't look at it that way. I really, you know, have enjoyed every single thing I pursued. And by the way, when you pursue something that is interesting to you, it's, it's not that it makes you happy because Let's say let's say your passion is tennis. You're not going to be happy most of the time while you learn tennis. You're going to lose most of the games you play. It's hard to to learn something to get out there and and study and learn and fail and fail and fail. But it'll give you well being. Like one of the components of 
of well-being is is mastery. When you when you start to master something, you get an enormous dopamine hit from it and it just feels good. And then when you bring that mastery into other disciplines, well A you learn you have learned the language of mastery. This is how I master something new. And B it just it gives you kind of this buffer that you you know who you are. Well I I know I can get good at things. I know I'm good at you know business or comedy or chess or writing. Like nobody could take that away from me because that's something internal. And so you don't necessarily do something to be happy, but you do something to to you do something because you love it no matter what. And and chances are it's going to be so challenging you're not going to be happy most of the time. So that's a big misconception about uh doing what makes you happy. It's more like there's a subtle difference, but it's more like doing what you what you love. And in that subtlety there's some profundity too that is i think you hit it spot on i james i didn't know that these are philosophies that that you're sharing on the show that are just like hand in glove with things that i've believed my whole life and i mean i've read most of your work and it's interesting to me that i'm really just hit me like a ton of bricks here there's so many of the things that you've articulated in this conversation are like things that I will go to the grave with that I, I have that have been a part of my psychology um, ever since I started trying to leave that path that other people, you know, have tried to lay for us. The, and these are people who care a lot about us, right? Your parents, your, your teachers, your career counselors. These are people who try and steer you the right way. Let me ask the question. So how does one in the face of all this pressure because let's face it, not many people's parents are saying, you know what? You should go be a rock star. You should go try and be a professional gamer. You should go be a stand-up comedian. So what's the advice that you have for people who are listening? That And maybe it's uh, one's spouse. You shouldn't go try and be a professional YouTuber at age 53 because our family needs you to pay the bills, for example. So how sure. does one... How does one you know, make the decisions that you're encouraging people to make now in the face of, um, you know, real consequences or people who are not uh, attuned to this universe of which you speak? Yeah, it's a great question, particularly like, you know, if your spouse is saying, listen, we need to pay the bills, we can't just, you know, downsize so you could um, pursue comedy because very few people make money you know, there's not that many people filling out stadiums in, in comedy uh, or or even being a writer or being a photographer or any of these things. Anything that's like a, a attractive to the population is hard to, to monetize. So, again, I think the key is experimenting and start off small. So, OK, I want to learn chess. I'm going to play. I'm going to play online. I'll play online for I'll take a lesson at once a week. I'll play online maybe a couple hours a week. And you know what? When I play online, I'm going to turn on Twitch and I'm going to stream it. And I'm going to try to build up my skill as a streamer, which is a hard skill too. Like I have to be able to talk while I'm playing and be entertaining while I'm doing something. I have to do two things with my brain at the same time that are both difficult. And these are little experiments. By the way, all those things I listed cost zero and take a modest amount of time. So do that for a few weeks, months, whatever. See what the results are. That's an experiment. And, and it does, nobody will deny you that 
experience. Now, you could also say, well, screw all the people who say I can't do something. You know, I'm going to show them. But that won't necessarily make you better at something. So, you know, you could you could list take in all the input, but you could still design experiments that are worth doing, that'll change you as a person. And there's really no downside and there's enormous upside. So for me to try stand up comedy, who who was going to everyone could tell me you can't do this, but no one can stop me from just going up on a stage and trying to tell jokes for a while. No one can stop me from bringing comedians on my podcast as a way of getting them to mentor me without realizing it. Cause I would just, ask, I would bring a comedian on and I would just ask, what if this situation happens to you? And it would, I would just be talking about what happened to me the night before. Like, what if, what if there's a drunk woman who's heckling you? And I would learn valuable things like, well, you can't be careful with a drunk woman because the audience might be on her side. They don't want to see you uh, making fun of, of someone like that. So, and on and on, you learn little tips and these are all just, experiments even with chess okay I, I did my plus minus equals i did my micro skills but i hadn't and i played online but i hadn't played in a tournament in 25 years 25 years ago was the last time i played in a tournament so what does it hurt to play in all oh, i'll find a local place a friday night i'll play in a small tournament see see what happens oh, okay God, oh, i'm gonna it did well i'm gonna now play for a weekend in some place and, and on and on you just try experimenting and that's kind of a way to ease into something. What about entrepreneurship? Well, don't don't just have an idea and raise $2 million for it. Is there a way to experiment with it? Is there a way you could do the service that you were going to automate? Can you do it manually for a while and get one of your friends to be your customer and see what they liked and what they didn't like and would they be willing to pay? That might be an experiment to do. Like, you know, you could have done for Chase Jarvis online, you could have called some of your friends and said, let's do some videos. We'll, we'll just put it up on YouTube. We'll call it Chase Jarvis online and see if there's interest in, in more. See if people are, if the feedback is good before we raise $10 million and, and try to make this a full business without really knowing if it's going to be good or not. All, all businesses should start as an, an experiment, by the way, because before you start a business, you have no way of knowing if there's going to be demand or not. Unless you're like, unless you buy a laundromat, which has kind of a built-in demand, there's no other way other than through experimenting whether you're going to know if you're going to have demand. Uh, I'm going to ask the reverse psychology here. Um, is there any, you know, again, let's go back to skip the line because um, I really encourage people to pick up a copy of that. And if the premise of um, skip the line is running these experiments and, you know, living your life or, or planning through this, this lens you've been sharing what are the downsides? What are what are the unexpected uh, pain points that one might uh, encounter in following your advice? Well, there's a lot, and and <laughs> some are unfortunate. Like, for instance, if you're a writer and you know you're someone a writer like me, where I tend to write kind of things that I think that might. I don't try to be controversial, but again, I don't want to say something if everyone else is saying it. I'm going to write about things I'm passionate about and tell stories around it, but it might be some things that bother some people, like this New York City article. And you end up losing, you're going to gain some friends, and you're going to lose some friends. You're going to gain some family, and you're going to lose some family. All of these things have happened to me, and sometimes it's really painful. Like, you can't believe. I thought this person was my family or my friend, and... 
you, you have to be able to accept that if you're going to be different in the world, some people are not going to like that. Some people are not are going to be threatened too. If you if you want to be a photographer and previously you were a lawyer, other lawyers might be threatened. If you suddenly become a successful photographer, they might hate you for it. And then they might not say that they hate you for it, but they'll find some other reason to hate you. So so there there's that downside. The other downside is of course to do it's like what we said earlier, if to do anything challenging, you're going to be miserable some or even much of the time. If you're going to try comedy, you're going to bomb on stage. And if you truly care about it, you're going to hate yourself afterwards and you're not going to be able to sleep that night. Or if you play in some competitive area or if you if you want to be a professional investor, there's going to be days, weeks, months, you lose money and it's not going to be, and you're going to think to yourself, I thought I could be good at this. And, but just stuff happens. And sometimes <laughs> you, you figure out like, well, you know, some strategies don't work or sometimes you're going to lose money or sometimes you're going to uh, fail at tennis or chess or whatever. And it's very disappointing. It's very, very hard to pursue something that's difficult and there's a psychology to it. And you ha and ultimately you have to be able to convince yourself that every time you fail, these are the only times you learn. You And, and people say, oh, I, I failed at a business. This m must mean I learned something. No, you have to do a full autopsy on why you failed. Otherwise, you won't learn anything. But it's very important, the flip side, if you, let's say you tell all your friends, oh, I have this business idea. And they all say, oh, man, that's a great idea. You have just learned nothing. <laughs> people tell yes to you for lots of reasons. People will tell no to you for only one reason, is that they legitimately think that's a bad idea. <laughs> but they'll say yes to you because they just want to get you away. <laughs> like, oh, he'll go away if I say yes, that's a great idea. Or I don't have to insult him if I say if I just say yes. So there's a lot of reasons why people say yes to things. Yes gives you no, yes or success give you no actual information. When I play a game of chess, if I win, I have no information about my skill or ability. If I lose, I could look at that game and figure out what was going on in my head when I made that bad move that caused me to lose. Now I have real information that I could work on. Uh, when I you know, did comedy, I would take a video, I'd watch the video afterwards, and I would say, oh, I could see why people didn't laugh at this point because I, I said, uh, or I, or I stuttered a little bit, or I moved just in a little weird way that I could tell didn't connect with the the audience. If I, if everybody's just laughing all the time, I learn nothing. So, you know, while at the same time failure or, or, or lack of success is very painful. It's a, you know, my, my first chess tournament that I played in, in 25 years, it was, I, and I was, I was a great chess player 25 years ago, but you lose skill if you don't play for, for a long time. So I played in this tournament and I had, five losses and three draws. It was eight games. I didn't win a single game. And I'm like, I have never, since I was a kid, I have never had an experience. I, I was horrified. Like what? This, <laughs> this is horrible. I had never had a tournament like this before in any area of life. But I realized, okay, this is a treasure trove of information now about why I lose um, there's only upside. It's been down so long. It looks like up to me is a famous 1960s <laughs> novel. This, there's only upside from here. And I've written, I've studied now so a month later, I've studied maybe four or five of those games. I have uh, almost a hundred pages of notes on these games from, from studying them. 
If I had one, I would have zero pages of notes. So <laughs> even the painful parts have upside, but you have to, it takes a psychology to, to learn that because it's going to feel bad while at the same time you have to tell yourself this is a good thing. This has been an extraordinary conversation. And I want to, the last topic I'd like to explore is very related to what you just said. I was asking, all right, my notes were here to explore this as a final topic, but it couldn't have come together more eloquently because what you just said reminds us that your mindset in these moments, this sort of willingness to experiment, to review your experiments, to learn, to be made fun of for either failing or for being so obsessed that you weren't, you're taking a hundred pages of notes about your chess tournament. Both of those things are weird, right? But this idea of being, of willing to be weird or different or um, unnatural or obsessed or any, you know, there's a whole host of, of um, ways we could describe it has so much to do, so much reliance on mindset, it seems like. So I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about mindset. Is there anything that you do to program your mind other than um, you know just what you've talked about here? It seems like there has to be some layer because to be able to withstand those funny criticisms and to be willing to be laughed at on the subway when you're trying to produce stand-up comedy in the moment, like. Are there things that you do to fortify yourself or to strengthen your mindset or to, you know, re-engage the, the belief that you have in yourself? Or is it just part of the process to have all those darts thrown at you and you get good at being tolerant and move on? It's, it's, it's a little bit of both because no matter how long you've been doing something, you're going to be negatively affected and have negative thoughts some of the time like you know when i wrote this new york city um article and jerry seinfeld responded to be honest i so many people were then saying go jerry you know like andrew cuomo sent out an email to 10 million people about jerry seinfeld's article and and trashing me and and de blasio did how, how the mayor of new york did a press conference about it and so many people were unfriending me on Facebook. And I didn't know why I had good intentions. And, and, you know, I was in comedy. Seinfeld was like a hero of mine. And a lot of comedians, you know, worship Seinfeld comedians that I respect. And so I was starting to get negative feedback from, you know, this subculture I had been a part of. So I like, I broke down and cried at one point. Like I didn't understand what was, what was happening. And, you know, so, so you do need, you're going to have those bad moments, but you always need to, to step back and say, listen, I'm, it's the who are you, why are you, why now? Like, you're doing something for a reason, and it could even be a bigger reason. Like, am I playing chess because I want to uh, be in a chess magazine and, and, oh, this guy got a certain title or whatever? Or do I, am I playing it because I just love it and I want to get better? Uh, a lot of times we convince ourselves okay, I want to be a photographer because I want all my skating friends to look up to me as a photographer. And, and then I want to make money at it and be famous for being the first, you know, so that's kind of like an external motivation, but ultimately you have to step back to your internal motivations. Like, I love this. I want to get better. It doesn't matter where I rank in, in the world of this, but 
that's my first motivation. And, and then you have to say, and this is important for me, I'm telling me this more, but, and this is a cliche, but you have to be grateful that you have the opportunity to do this. However it is, you don't have to be rich or poor, but you have, you've carved out an opportunity to do something you love. That's something to be grateful for. And then all of the, I'm grateful. I have a support system around me. I'm grateful. You know, my friends who stuck with me, I'm grateful. I'm, you know, all the cliche things and mindset's incredibly important. If I go into a game of chess thinking, Oh, I suck. I'm going to lose this game. I'm tired. I'm not feeling well. Or if you go in and you, I try this, actually, I tried this, this last tournament and it worked really well. Uh, between every move, I would look around and like, I would look away from the board and I would, I would think of the things I was grateful for. Because then when I look back at the board, it gives me a whole new perspective. I'm not sucked into whatever mindset I was in before, even whether it was good or bad. And that was incredibly useful because mindset, you know, you're never like at this, on a, let's say photography skills rank from one to 10 or one to a hundred. And you say, well, I'm at least an 85. Well, you're, you're not an 85 all the time. You're always a range. You're from 65 to 90 maybe. And, and on a good day, you're 85, but on a bad day, you're 65. So mindset's a big part of where you're going to end up on that spectrum that day. And what really helped me the first time I went broke, what really helped me was I started writing down, um, after two years of depression, I started writing down 10 ideas a day on a waiter's pad. And I don't know what happened, but after like two or three weeks of that, I started like seeing possibilities in my life. Like the ideas I was writing down were, oh, here's 10 books I could write. Here's 10 businesses I could start. Here's 10 ideas for Chase for his, for his show. Uh, here's 10 ideas for Google. And son suddenly... I felt like more creative because I was exercising that creativity muscle and it just allowed me to see possibility. And as long as you can still see possibility, you're going to have a positive mindset. And I think, I think that is really important for, for performance so that you're at the upper end of your range uh, and, and you know, the spectrum of your ability, the idea of seeing possibility and finding new and, and confidence that you'll always find new possibility in what you're doing. Brilliant. Again, uh, we've talked about a lot. Your your book that we were originally going to talk about this more than a year ago uh, came out uh, last February. Congratulations on the success. Skipped in line, the 10,000 experiments you. rule and other surprising advice for reaching your goals. Um, where, Aside from the book, uh, where would you steer people who are intrigued, have been intrigued by our conversation and want more? Where do you want to send them? Uh I don't know. I mean, I, my, like you mentioned, there's the book Skip the Line. I wrote another book, Choose Yourself, which was very popular and is, it has similar themes and talks more about when I was going broke and stuff. And then, I don't know, lately I've been just taking a break from social media and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I got a little burnt out, I think, on social media. But understandable. Just Google me. You'll find me. You'll find me on the Chase Jarvis podcast. Listen to That's our right. earlier episodes. We've got some great ones in there for sure. I want to say thanks again, James. It's always a treat to speak Thank with you. you. So this was a particular uh, like light bulb for me, all of the ways uh, in which our thoughts are similar. Thanks for showing up and uh, continuing to inspi inspire and be so vulnerable. It's really, really uh, impacted me. And I think the show 
is going to be a doozy. So let James know when you watch this show that you appreciated it and him. Uh, we're all th- always out there listening. And well, James is not because he's taking a break on social media, but I'll be paying attention. And in the meantime, thanks again, James, and signing off to everybody out there on the internet land. I bid you adieu. All right, that's it for today's show. But hey, before you go, I wanted you to know that I am so grateful to have your ears, your attention, and have you be a part of the community around this show. I love reading all your messages, the texts that come in, the questions, feedback, stories, guest ideas. It's, uh, I, I devour every one of your comments. Uh, I respond as often as possible. And you know, these are my, my thumbs tapping these things out on social uh, and my phone number on the other side of the text. Oh, you probably, just in case you don't know that, did you know you can text me 206? 309-5177 with any feedback and it's actually well the first one's automated but then that's actually my thumbs on the end of that um, again I just want you to know that this show I make this show for you and for me and this community has been a driving force in my life for more than 10 years now uh, I listen to you I listen to your ideas and I do everything I can to make them come to life so Thank you for participating. Uh, my ears and eyes and thumbs are, are out there on the internet trying to make this happen. I just want you to know how grateful I am and I want you to stay tuned for the next episode coming soon. Mm-hmm.